the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. This is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickersons. What's, what's the matter? All right, all right. Blanche, Blanche. I'm putting a ribbon in my hair. Where are you going? I'm not going anywhere. I just thought I'd like to look nice this morning. Why? I knew you'd forget. You don't even know what day this is. I do, too. It's rent day. It is not. Today happens to be our wedding anniversary. Well, I knew it was a sad occasion of some kind. What kind of a remark is that? That's supposed to be funny. No, it isn't supposed to be funny, Blanche. I'm just groggy, that's all. I'm sorry. I knew you'd forget. I didn't forget it. So why didn't you say something? Blanche, I just opened my eyes. You 
forgot it. I tell you, I didn't forget it. But even if I did, you'd remind me of it. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Is that all? No plans? We've been married eight years. Don't you want to do something? No, it's too late to do anything. It's sad about you. How you suffer. I didn't get such a bargain, you know. Okay, okay. There's better fish in the ocean than the one I caught. There's better bait, too. I'm serious. Okay, I'm sorry. You hack away at me in the morning and I'm so exhausted, I don't know what I'm saying. You wouldn't be so exhausted if you went to bed at a reasonable hour. I had to work overtime. Pour me some coffee. Get paid? I'll get paid. What time did you get home? 12.30. If you got home at 12.30. Why were you so long getting into bed? I know for a fact you didn't come to bed until almost two. I was in the kitchen putting the stuff away. What stuff? What's the matter, Blanche? You told me to bring stuff home for the party tonight. You invited a lot of your crumb friends and you told me to bring stuff, so I brought stuff. Did you bring the potatoes for the potato salad? I brought potatoes. Did you pair them? I paired them. All of them? All except one. He had a big knob on top and I couldn't find a mate for him. (laughs) I meant... I know what you meant, Blanche. I even boiled them last night. Where are my pants? Who stole my pants? Nobody stole your pants. I just looked in the wastebasket and they're not there. My shoes are missing from the sink. Don't be silly, John. Your pants are on a hanger in the closet and your shoes are in the shoe rack. How'd they get there? I put them there. Well, I wish you'd quit throwing my things around like that. (laughs) Gotta get them or I'll be late. You won't be late. Here are your pants. Thanks. Blanche, these aren't my pants. They're not? Then whose pants are they? That's a good question, only I should be asking. Don't be so snobby. They were baggy, so I pressed them. Baggy? Took me an hour to find the right crease. Be careful you don't wrinkle them now. What's the difference? I like my pants to look lived in. You're dragging the tops on the floor. Hold your trouser leg with your left hand, then step in with your right foot. Blanche, I've been putting on my own pants for over 40 years, and I don't need you to be the foreman of it. Which one? It doesn't matter. I want to use it for a belt. My suspenders are broken. Why don't you wear your belt? I'm using it to keep the soles from falling off my shoes. John Fitterson, you know you're just... I know it. I know I haven't got a belt. Where's my shirt? Where did you hide my shirt? I didn't hide it anywhere. Well, where is it? I draped it around the canary's cage so he could sleep. Is my shirt the only rag you could find to cover the bird's cage with? Hasn't hurt anything, has it? No, but I don't like the way that bird pokes into my pockets. Every time I take a cigarette out, I'm smoking bird seed. Why do you have to cover the cage anyway? The canary is sensitive to light. Well, get him a pair of sunglasses. Leave my shirt alone. No bird's going to sleep later than I do. Ah, shut up. John, why must you be so mean on our anniversary? Blanche, I'm not mean. I'm worried. Business is bad. My job is hanging by a thread. You never should have quit your other job. You made me quit. You said it wasn't dignified selling bowling balls. You were embarrassed to answer when people asked you what your husband sold. Well, it sounded like it was trying to start a fight. That's no problem for you. I gotta go. Here, and don't forget your samples. I won't forget. This darn vacuum cleaner gets heavier every day. Straighten this hose around my neck, will you, Blanche? There, there. Now, got everything? I think so. No, wait a minute. You got any money? Well, there's 50 cents in the sugar bowl. 50 cents? You can bring me the change when you come home. Now listen, Blanche, something's got to be done about this. I can't go down to work like a pauper every day. A man's got to have a couple dollars in his pocket. Now don't yell at me. I don't mind going with torn clothes and holes in my socks, but I'm not going to suffer through those lunches anymore. What's the matter with your lunches? You ought to know. You pack them for me. I'm just getting sick of carrying my lunch to work in a paper sack. 
sack. Why can't I go to the restaurant like the other fellas? John, what are you talking about? I haven't fixed your lunch for two years. Oh, Blanche, every morning of my life I find my lunch wrapped in brown paper on the side of the sink. John, that's the garbage. Goodbye, Blanche. Goodbye, dear. Happy anniversary. everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is a former Fulbright scholar who holds degrees in international relations, economics, and thankfully creative writing. His uh, new book, Five Tribes, is a sequel to uh, The Last Swordmaker. He visited us when that book came out. Um, his name is Brian Nelson. He joins me by phone. Hi, Brian. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back. Um you know, I always ask uh, writers when they do a sequel or a trilogy or a series, do you get to the end of book one and go, but wait, there's more? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And I I felt that um, this book, you know, the first book had a lot of potential to expand because the first book focused, um, I don't know if you remember, but it's focused mostly on how the military might develop the next generation of weapons. And so it sort of focuses on this arms race between the United States and China. And, you know, essentially, you know, there's a winner. The United States wins at the end of that book. But a lot of the sort of possibilities of the new technology kind of hadn't been explored. So with this book, I was actually pretty excited to sort of get to play around with how this technology might be applied to all sorts of things in the military, like body armor, infantry weapons, helicopter design, um, and even this idea of, of biohacking, which is the idea that you could actually enter someone's body and perhaps give them a disease that appears to be, you know, like a disease that we know, but is something else. So the sort of the possibilities of sort of controlling politics or controlling global events with this kind of um, biohacking and military technology was really interesting, so I wanted to explore that in in this second book. Now I don't I don't remember exactly um, when the, when did the last sword maker come out? It's actually been two years. It was it was the fall of 2018 that it came out, so it's been a while. Because it seems to me like I remember um, there being some sort of chemical element to 
the storyline. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's pretty interesting technology in the sense that, you know, I did quite a bit of research on it, and it is very plausible, and they, they are talking about this sort of thing happening. But, um, yeah, the, the nanotechnology idea of it is that, you know, we're basically copying what already exists or is going on in our own biology and in the world around us. And that is the idea that you can sort of manipulate things atom by atom. And this is actually happening all the time. You know, every time you blink... Um, that's your your body breaking apart ATP to make ADP. Whenever you eat something, your your body has to know, for example, how to get the minerals and nutrients to the right parts of your body. So there's enzymes and proteins, which are essentially microscopic machines in your body that do that. And um, they work at an incredible speed. You know, we're talking millions of operations a second. So the idea that, you know, scientists are are, are sort of, you know, taking from this is that we can do that too, you know, and we can do it in a slightly different way. We can make sort of microscopic machines that can sort of do our bidding. You know, what's interesting or something that I wanted to ask you about is the titles of uh, of these two books, The Last Swordmaker and Now Five mm-hmm. Tribes, its sequel. Mm-hmm. Those titles at first glance would make someone think that these were ancient warriors <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and yet mm-hmm, it, you know mm-hmm. and yet in the new book five tribes the year is 2026 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah so um the, what i'm playing with and you know that's a great question is i'm playing with sort of how we are living with technology okay and sort of what are the possible paths we should take with technology so the idea of tribes in, in um, the new book, Five Tribes, is only partially to do with the, the book taking place in Africa and the main characters um, you know, coming in contact with a Khoisan culture. It, re- it also has to do with the storyline that's taking place in the United States, which is about what different people want to do with this technology or trying to do. So the first book was about how these weapons were created the second book is how all these different groups are trying to get their hands on them and what could happen, sort of what the consequences of that. And I'll give you one example. So one, one of the interesting characters in the new book is this character named Riona Finley, and she's sort of a Unabomber-style eco-terrorist. And she's out to get the technology, but nobody's exactly sure why. Is it because she wants to save the planet? And, and prevent pollution, or is it because she wants to make a weapon of mass destruction? Um, there's another character within the military who sees the power that this technology has and wants to take it and create an uh, incredible surveillance system using artificial intelligence and swarms that would basically keep tabs on everyone in the name of keeping us safe. So the idea of tribes is, is the different groups you know, that are trying to... Um, you know, figure out what to do with it and perhaps lead us down the wrong path. And I'll add one more thing about that. I'm also very interested in the idea of what it's like to not have technology, right? So the idea of the the group in Africa, the Khoisan culture in Africa, is basically looking at how we used to all live, you know, without much technology, you know, living in small groups, you know, living outdoors, and I'm really interested in this idea of 
the gap between the way we were designed to live evolutionarily and the way we sort of forced ourselves to live now in our technological society. More with author Brian Nelson straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. 
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More with author Brian Nelson straight ahead. When you talk about nanotechnology and and certain kinds of uh, uh, chemicals and and mm-hmm. technology that can invade a person's body, isn't that ultimately changing evolution, or couldn't it potentially? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, we're in the age of CRISPR. Um, we're in the age where people are talking about augmenting themselves with artificial intelligence. Um, so these, in fact, there's a character in the book who's just known as the inventor who has somehow been able to move on and has sort of become what's called transhuman. He's sort of more than human because he's integrated this technology within himself. And, and yes, I'm very interested in, in kind of what that means. I mean, there's sort of a seductive side of that, right? We kind of all imagine becoming super smart or super strong or being able to learn anything we want with this kind of technology. Um, but is that, is that good for us? What happens when you begin to sort of play around with um, all these years of, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of evolution for Homo sapiens? And... Um, what that's going to do to us. You know, I can't help thinking when we talk about your stories, Brian, um, that in some ways they're, they're a metaphor uh, for the, um, uh, what would you call it, the, the, the struggle over um, certain technology that we live with all the time, like Facebook and Twitter and so mm-hmm. on, that these tools can be used for good or evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the whole idea of tribes, I think, was inspired by, um, you know, some of the phenomena we're seeing in people um, sort of just staying within their echo chamber, right? You, you, you have your own group, you listen to what they say, but you, you're not really listening to the other group anymore. Um, the world is becoming more and more compartmentalized, and definitely social networking is, 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 is um, you know, pushing that or magnifying that. Is, is the new book, Five Tribes, I mean, it's, it's a sequel to The Last Swordmaker, but now that it's out, do you see this potentially becoming a series, or is this just one and a sequel and done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, actually, there'll be one more book. There'll be one more book, at least one more book in the trilogy. Um, there may be more after that, but right now we're just billed for doing three books. I, You know, that's so funny that you say there there might be more, because <laughs> I, I, just, I, just, I just have this feeling that, that you get all done with a book and you go, but... You know, once you get it all tightened up and ready to publish, it's like, but wait, there's all this other stuff I thought of. <laughs> I know, and it's true. And, and, you know, you get excited about what could possibly happen, right? 
and for example, in this book, I mean, there were characters who were very minor in, in The Last Swordmaker who actually, you know, really kind of took center stage in, in this book. And I didn't really kind of anticipate that. So one of them that was this um, soldier in the first book who just had a couple of lines and was just in a few scenes. And then um, this book opens with this rescue mission to Africa to save a prisoner. And um, he sort of has to become center, come center stage because he's, he's leading this mission. And that was really fun, right? It was really fun to, you know, you create a sandbox and you're like, oh, okay, now I can play with this toy. And so this character is really interesting because he was a, he was a seal. But I'm like, well, what, what would it be like if you, it was the year 2026, and you were an older Navy SEAL uh, who'd been in for maybe, you know, 20 years or more, you know, you would have entered the military right around 9-11. So you would have been going to conflict zones really for 20 years, which I was thinking about that. Like, where, when in the history of the United States have we had, you know, combat troops rotating in and out of service for that long? So, you know, his character became really interesting. I was like, okay, how would this guy look at the world? Um, how would he sort of view geopolitics? You know, how would he have sort of evolved and dealt with all the stuff he must have seen through all those tours of tours of duty? But this, this new weapon um, that the military has in uh, five tribes, mm-hmm. it's... Why did you pick the year 2026? This seems more futuristic than that. Or or, or is there something about this technology that you think is potentially contemporary? Um, yeah, I chose, I chose just to be a little, a few years in the future because I wanted to give it that certain sense of urgency. You know, I wanted it to feel like oh, this isn't some fantastic world in the future. It's not 100 years. It's really our our world, but just with these a, a, a series of new breakthroughs that have kind of changed the whole landscape. So, I mean, it, it, it quite, in, quite directly, it's kind of meant to shock you and say, okay, I can see where this technology is where I am right now. In six years, could it have changed already be where where Brian's describing it. Well, it's funny because when uh, when writers speculate about the future or create a, a world that's in the future, um, a lot of times, if we live long enough, get a little disappointed. I'm I'm still waiting for my jetpack <laughs> and, and flying cars and stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's funny you say that because the the um, initial idea for this book came in um, when I was in grad school, when I entered grad school in the year 2000. So I, I had a draft of this I worked on for a couple of years, and then I went off and I did a bunch of nonfiction projects. I lived in Venezuela for a while. And then after my son was born, I was like, okay, I've got to go dust off that manuscript and you know see what I can make of it. And a lot of these things that I had been were futuristic in 2000 were had already arrived, you know, like just just um, voice activation technology. And of course, there's a funny scene now in the Last Swordmaker where 
um, there's like a Skype call, essentially like a Zoom call, but I imagine that there would be changeable backgrounds in, in, in the Zoom call. Right, and I'm like that already exists, right? <laughs> Even before the book's created, like you can do that now. Right? Um, but it's something that I imagined, and then it came to pass before, before um, the the date, the start date of the book, which was which was 2025. How much do you have to research when you come up with an idea like this new weapon? How much do you have to research so that? your descriptions and explanations of it in the book uh, are plausible. Yeah, a part of that, it's almost like a 50-50 thing. It's, it's finding the right research, you know, that, that makes it feel plausible. But that then the other half is you as the writer. You've got to make the right metaphor. You've got to write, make the right connection to make it seem um, realistic to the to the reader or plausible, so um, there is a lot of research. But I find that sometimes it's almost better if you just get a little bit of an idea and you're like, okay, I don't know, I don't have to know exactly how this works. Like I don't have to read, um, you know, very detailed scientific journals about it. I just need to have a pretty good idea, and then you just kind of use your skill as a writer to sort of make it feasible to the, to the to the reader well yeah you you count on the reader to um you know finish a little bit of the of the description by imagining mm-hmm. what this is and how yeah. it might work um suspending uh, disbelief you know they've mm-hmm. they've got to be willing to accept the premise but um but yet, in order for them to do that, there has to be some explanation that makes the reader go, hmm, that could work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and given the fact that this story had its roots, you know, nearly 20 years ago, um, how how did you imagine those things? Was it just because you could see technology heading in the direction of, as we now have experienced almost uh, in our daily lives for a lot of people, Zoom calls? Yeah, yeah. A lot of it is is doing a little bit of research, right, and seeing kind of what's what's out there. Like, for example, I remember in 2000, you know, them saying that, you know, look, we, we have, we already have sort of voice recognition technology, right, because we, they, they use it for a lot of handicapped people. So that was something that existed back in 2000. And then you also had, you know, the idea of, um, uh, of recognizing, you know, what you're saying and being able to type it out. They said, you know, within 10 or 15 years, hopefully you should be able to talk to any device and it would be able to, to understand what you're saying. Um, what's interesting is how some of that technology did not pan out the way that people think. Like, for example, uh, self-driving cars, you know, even, you know, five years ago, it was thought that by, by now we would have a lot more self-driving cars. But there's, there's certain roadblocks that have come along that has made that technology, um, you know, not as, not as quick to arrive as we thought. Um, you know, cars cannot, um, I, 
identify objects nearly as well. Self-driving cars cannot identify objects nearly as well as, as we thought they could. Well, yeah. Like they're like, really, really bad with bikes, right? They can't, like, what is a bike? Is it a deer? Is it another car? And so they, you know, there's a lot of issues that we hadn't foreseen that, that pop up. They were um, researching um, the ability of, of the recognition software in in self-driving cars in Australia. I think it was a Chinese company. And they had all kinds of problems with kangaroos. Um, something about because they hopped, it distorted um, the car's perception of distance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, yeah. and when you say we we don't quite have it yet, there's a case in Michigan just this last week where a car on autopilot um, ran into a state police car. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> maybe and, that car was actually thinking. Yeah, that's a good question. Like, is the, maybe it yeah. the car out. <laughs> <laughs> when AIs go wild. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it is interesting. You know, the, the death of the... the, the biker in Arizona, you know, that was the first instance of a robot, you know, killing a human being. Um, so, you know, these kind of, it's not kind of what we perceive, right? If I said, okay, a robot will kill a human being in the next 10 years, you would think of like a, a human, a human modeled robot walking around that might kill someone. But that's, you know, not what, not, that's not what, what's happened. But it still kind of happened, but not in a way that we imagined. Well, we always tend to personify things. Mm-hmm. If there's going to be an evil robot, robot it's going to look like a person. Mm-hmm. At least that's what we've done historically um, in in storytelling. Exactly. So, actually, I play with this quite a bit in, in this booklet because there is this AI system that's created. Um, and it sort of it creates these interesting kind of opportunities about like what what do we imagine like so we imagine an artificial intelligence system or a robot coming after us. What's interesting is that, is that for now anyway, AI lives in a box, right? Uh, uh, an artificial intelligence system can't pick up a knife, it can't pick up a gun and come after you. What will how will that happen? Right? When will an artificial intelligence system that might be incredibly smart be able to not just think or you know uh, figure out problems within a computer, but actually be able to manipulate the environment around it and, and act on its decisions? Yeah, and act on its decision exactly. So, uh, in this idea of swarm technology using a cross of you know genetics, nanotechnology, and AI is is something that's I'm building towards in the, in the next book is that this AI system is going to figure out, okay, I'm stuck in this box, but there also is this technology I can use to manipulate the world around me. And it takes that next step. Do you have a title for the next book yet? I don't. No, I have to figure one out. I have to figure one out. Um, but it's coming along pretty well. It's, it's, a, it's fun to think about um, how these different storylines are going to come together in the, in the final book. Well, you could call it sorcerers <laughs> and st- stay with the uh, 
<laughs> with the ancient warrior the, theme. The semi-archaic, yes. Yeah, yeah the semi-archaic <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> um, You know, when you talk about this story having its roots, uh, you know, back around uh, the time of September 11th, around 2000, 2001, um, mm-hmm. did that impact how long it takes to to write the book i mean you finished uh last sword maker you know over a year and a half ago and now mm-hmm. five tribes is out um does it I- impact how much time it takes to to write the book um yeah there's a lot of different factors i mean you know they say that um the the only way to um learn how to write a novel is to write a novel so I think, you know, with the first book you write, it, it, it tends to be you're all over the place, right? You don't really know what you're doing. It's a lot of trial and error. So, um, you know, I had a draft of this book that I wrote in grad school, but then I went on and I did this project in Venezuela, which is nonfiction. And I was, you know, that book took me six years. Um, and then after that got published is when I came back to this. And it was it was tough because... I was pretty much the the stay at home dad <laughs> after my son my first son was born. So I was with him all day long, and then my wife would come home from work, you know, five or six, and I'd just hand the baby over and walk out <laughs> and go to go to the library and stay in the library until ten o'clock. So the amount of time I was I was able to dedicate wasn't that that much. So again, that took you know meant a couple more years. Was um, it, was that different, Brian, during this this last year of of pandemic and and sheltering at home and so on? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it was it was tough. I mean, it, it it feels like you know there's just a just a weight on you, right? There's just this constant kind of worry, this kind of level of stress, you know, that's kind of making it a little bit harder to do most things, which I'm sure you know just about everybody has felt, right? in some way, some more than others. You know, luckily, my family or my parents weren't sort of directly impacted by COVID, but at the same time, there's that preoccupation, right? And um, it, it can work to your advantage, I think, at some point, that, that sort of stress because it's making you think about, you know, your anxieties and your fears, and sometimes those can be carried over in helping you create your characters as they go through trials and dilemmas. Um, but... It, 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 it slowed me down, but it wasn't something that um, that you know put brought me to a stop. You know, it's something that you, you just just like everybody else. You know, you had, you had to work through it. You had to find a way to keep going. The um, now with this next book, now that Five Tribes is out, well, it comes out March twenty third. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that this book is is done except for the you know promoting and you have to put up with doing interviews like with people like me um but but are you are you working on the new book yeah yeah i try to what i try to do um what i found is i i don't say you know i have to write a you know, 2,000 words a day, or I have to, you know, I don't give myself a limit like that, but I just say, you know, two to three hours a day, you know, just try to pick at it. And, you know, 
this might be, you know, as a musician, you might feel the same way, that every day there's a little bit of creative creativity in you, right? There's a little bit of, like, ideas about how you might want to play something or, or, or construct something or compose something. And if you can just pull that out, that little bit out every day and add it on to something, then, you know, at the end of five months or six months, you're going to have something that you really like. I don't know, how long does it take to, say, write a song, you know, and how, how do you pull that, that creativity out? Well, I, I talked to um, one area musician recently who re- released three albums this last year. Right, wow. Um, uh-huh. Now, some of the material had been sitting there, and some of it was already in the works, but he went ahead and, and finished all the projects because he had a home studio, and as long as he was closed in, couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do any live shows, he just hunkered down and got, you know, three sets out. Wow, wow. And I've talked to a lot of creative people who said they spent the last year like a deer in the headlights. You know, they, yeah, they, yeah. they were just yeah. kind of <laughs> stunned, you know, and... <laughs> <laughs> waiting for the other shoe to drop or something. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. You know, what you're speaking to is just how different people react to those kind of stresses, right? Um, and and uh, it, it's hard to know, right? It's hard to know, like, where you're going to fall until that sort of trial or challenge comes along. Well, it's going to be uh, interesting um, not, not only to... Uh, delve into um, Brian's new book, Five Tribes, the sequel to The Last Swordmaker, but also um, we'll be looking forward to the uh, eventual release of uh, Sorcerer. <laughs> and you which will be is credited. You, which is you will, you will have the first acknowledgement. That's 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 my that's my working title for Brian's <laughs> unnamed new book. Um, but Brian, as as you know, um, we always give guests an opportunity to uh, let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future, including uh, even your first book, The Silence and the Scorpion. Um, the coup against Chavez and the making of modern Venezuela. Uh, That's right. Do you have a website, Brian? Yeah, yeah. My website is um, Brian Nelson Books, and that's Brian with an I. BrianNelsonBooks.com, and I'm also pretty active on on Facebook. So um, um, those are probably the two best places to to find me. Well, Brian, it's uh, great to talk to you again. Best of luck with uh, Five Tribes and with uh, the um, progress on uh, on the new to-be-named book. Um, and uh, keep up the good work, and I look forward well, to uh, our next conversation. Wonderful. Thank you, Tom, very much. It's been a great. It's always great to talk to you. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Once again, uh, Brian Nelson, author of... Five Tribes, the sequel to The Last Swordmaker. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. Old-fashioned radio For a new generation Tom Sumner Program.com The 
TheTomSumnerProgram.com TheTomSumnerProgram.com From the Tom there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila, tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, 
table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, through their dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. It may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Please. A what? A license for my pet fish, Eric. How did you know my name was Eric? No, no, no. My fish's name is Eric. Eric Fish. He's an halibut. What? He is an halibut. You've got a pet halibut? Yes. I chose him out of thousands. And like the others, they were all too flat. You must be a loony. I am not a loony. Why should I be tired with the epithet loony merely because I have a pet halibut? I've heard tell that Sir Gerald Nabardo has a pet prawn called Simon. You wouldn't call him a loony. Furthermore, Dawn Pale thought the lady show jumper had a clam called Stafford. After the late Chancellor, Alan Bullock has two pikes, both called Chris, and Marcel Proust had an anarch. So if you're calling the author of Our Lare Cherche to Tom Pierre a loony, I shall have to ask you to step outside. All right, all right, all right. A licence? Yes. For a fish? Yes. You are a Look, it's a bleeding pet, isn't it? I gotta license me pet dog, Eric. I gotta gotta, gotta license me pet cat, Eric. You don't need a license for your cat. I bleeding well do, and I got one. Can't be called out though. There is no such thing as a bloody cat license. Yes, there is. No, there isn't. Is isn't. I bleeding got one. Look, what's that then? This is a dog license with the word dog crossed out and cat written in in crayon. Man didn't have the right form. What man? The man from the cat detector van. The loony detector van, you mean? Look, it's people like you. What cause unrest? What cat detector van? The cat detector van from the Ministry of Housing. Housing? It was spelt like that on the van. I'm very observant. I've never seen so many bleeding aerials. The man said their equipment could pinpoint a purr at 400 yards, and Eric, being such a happy cat, was a piece of cake. How much did you pay for this? Uh, 60 quid and eight for the fruit bat. What fruit bat? Eric the fruit bat. Oh, your pet's called Eric. There's nothing so odd about that. Kemal Ataturk had an entire menagerie called Abdo. No, he didn't. Did. Didn't. Did, 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 didn't, did. Oh, right. Spoken like a gentleman, sir. Now, are you going to give me a fish license? I promise you that there is no such thing. You don't need one. In that case, give me a bee license. A license for your pet bee? Correct. Called Eric. Eric the bee? Nope. No? Nope. Eric the off bee. 
You had an accident. You're off your chum. Look, if you intend by that utilisation of an obscure colloquialism to imply that my sanity is not up to scratch, or indeed to deny the semi-existence of my little chum, Eric the Offbeat, I shall have to ask you to listen to this. Take it away, Eric the Orchestra Leader. I want two. I want two, three, four. Half a bee, philosophically, must ipso facto half not be. But half the bee has got to be a vis-a-vis its entity. Do you see? But can a bee be said to be or not to be an entire bee when half the bee is not a bee due to some ancient injury? Singing. A la dee a one, two, three... Eric the half a B A B C D E F G Eric the half a B Is this a wretched enemy me Half asleep upon my knee Some freak from a menagerie No, it's Eric the half a B A fiddly dum, a fiddly dee This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
lay low for a while So I'll be staying here inside It's too dangerous out in the world I'll see you on the other side When I'm in my quarantine In my little place too high My heart is aching and I'm missing you We're all in for a bumpy ride Alexander Zajic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 